I want us to turn to the book of Job. And we're going to be in chapter number one. We came out of our Joshua series uh, over the past, I believe it was 11 weeks we did on Joshua. And we're going to be in the book of Job today. We're going to minister a couple messages. And I'm just waiting on the Lord how this is going to transpire uh, in my heart. Um, and then we're going to lead up to, we got Palm Sunday coming in a couple weeks. We got Easter coming following that. So for a few weeks, we're just going to minister as the Lord gives liberty. But today I, I just wanted to minister out of the book of Job, uh, starting at chapter number one. And we're going to read verses one through 12. Job chapter number one, verses one through 12. Can we stand if we're able to uh, for the re reading of God's word today? Job chapter number one. Verses 1 through 12. If you have it, say amen. Amen. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and, and with very great households. So that this man was the greatest of the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called to their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And so it was when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, and he rose up early in the morning, and he offered burnt offerings according to the numbers of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, Thus did Job continually. Verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down upon it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and, and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and hast not around his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his sustenance and increased, is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he shall curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hands. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. He went forth from the presence of the Lord. I titled this message today, if you're taking notes, The Invisible War. The invisible war. Look at your neighbor and say the invisible war. The invisible war. Let's bow our heads and our hearts and ask God to move on the remaining portion of this service. Father, we come before you today. We come with thanksgiving in our heart. We're praying today, God, that the word of the Lord would leap off the page into our hearts and minds and spirits today. Lord, that we're not just coming into this place to be hearers of the word. We come to be doers of the word, O oh God. We come to uh, receive all that you have for us today. God, just minister to us through this book, this what some would call an ancient book, but God, we would call it fresh 
uh, as the morning newspaper, up to date more than anything that could be brought together by any newscast today. Father, we're thankful today that your word stands firm in the heavens. And we ask that you would move upon this service in a mighty way. You must increase and I must decrease. And everybody said, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, the invisible war. The invisible war. You may be seated in God's presence. Hallelujah. How many enjoyed the series that we did on Joshua over the several weeks? Um, I know several of you was blessed by that uh, series and um, I truly was blessed to minister it and, and I know that you were blessed to receive it. We're going to move into, as I stated, just for a couple of weeks, we're going to we're kind of going to go rogue a little bit and just just let the Lord move upon uh, the services and let's see what he what he does and what he wants to accomplish. Amen. How many knows that everyone in this room knows the reality of hardships and crisis? Every one of us can understand this. Some of us are walking through it. Some of us may have just came out of a season of hardship, out of a season of crisis. Some of us are walking to it, but undoubtedly some of us on the horizon will be dealing with it before too long. How many knows that? We, we have all seen and we have all experienced some difficulties. and Dare I even say some major difficulties that we would have soon rather bypassed. We would have rather not dealt with that. We would have never, rather have not gone through that season. And the conflicts of life are visible and they're all around us. How many knows death is around us and disease is around us and warfare is around us and hardships and, and pain is around us and sorrow and sickness and sadness are, are all obvious things and they're clearly uh, around us as, as a whole. And also there is, is an area of conflict that goes on around us and within us that cannot be seen. I mean, knows that. I'm referring to the conflict that happens in the spirit realm. We are all engaged in spiritual warfare and are in a spiritual battle. It's an individual, it's, it's an individual battle in many cases. Sometimes it can be a family battle, but... It's oftentimes an invisible war that we cannot see with our natural eyes. I mean, those you got to be working and operating with your spiritual eyes in these last hours. We have to be involved in what God is doing, and we have to understand that there is, there is Satan that he's on the loose. He's walking around seeking whom he may, may devour, as the Bible said. So it's an invisible war that you cannot see that it oftentimes can take many casualties along the way. And in this war, you must be prepared for the long haul. You must be uh, prepared for the unexpected things of life. And like Job, you must have an enduring spirit. I said, you must have an enduring spirit in this hour. He that endures to the end, the Bible says, shall be saved, according to Matthew chapter number 24 and verse number 13. He that endureth to the end. So in this text today, the veil is pulled back and we are allowed to catch a glimpse of the spiritual warfare that happens in Job's life. And in this text, we are also allowed to see events that occurred in heaven. And what a difference it would have been in Job's life had he have known what was going to happen. Don't sometimes we think to ourselves, we want to know what's going to happen, what's, what God is putting us through, why we're dealing with certain things, but he didn't, and neither do we. We don't understand all that what God is doing. Can I tell you, Oftentimes, we will never understand on this side of eternity what God's doing. We will never understand what He's doing in our life. We just simply, here's the thing, we've got to learn to trust God in this hour. 
We've got to learn to trust Him as we've stated that even when we can't trace Him, we've got to trust that the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever, that He will never put on us any more than we can bear. But with every temptation, He'll provide a way of escape that we may be able to bear that thing. So I'm trusting the Lord today. How about you? I'm trusting God with every circumstance. I'm trusting God with every trial that comes my way. I'm trusting the Lord even in the sickness. I'm trusting the Lord even in my health. I'm trusting the Lord when in a times of lack. I'm trusting the Lord in seasons of prosperity. I'm trusting the Lord in all things that I go through in my life. Somebody say amen. So when trials come our way, we always seem to forget that God is behind our helps and he's behind our hurts. And listen, he has a plan for our pain. He has a plan for it. He, and this passage reminds us, this series of passages remind us that of this great truth. Uh, how many remembers? I remember my daddy saying things at times, and this often wasn't a good thing uh, because what we were about to endeavor upon, but he would say, what I'm about to do is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Anybody ever made that statement? Anybody ever been on the receiving end of that statement? And you knew what was coming next. You knew what was coming next. And oftentimes, uh, those were some very painful moments in our life physically. But how many knows you can go through some things spiritually that are just as hurtful? They can become just as trialsome in our lives. So I want to talk just a little bit this morning uh, about, just preach for a few minutes about the invisible war, the invisible things. And, and listen, some people have said, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Have, have you ever asked that question? Have you ever... Have you ever uh, tried to figure that out? But how many knows the Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust alike? And, and we have seen even in the, the children of Israel through the book of Joshua, we have seen that storms don't come to stay, but they come to pass. We go through storms, we go through trials, we go through issues, we go through tribulations, but we don't come to stay. God never puts these things on us for a lifetime. There's oftentimes seasonal things, and it's this invisible war that we go through in our spirit. So number one, if you're taking notes this morning, I, I want to talk about an un un unlikely candidate. An unlikely candidate. We, we, we look at Job's character. Number one, we look at him, and, and the Bible says he was a man of purity. He was a man of integrity. He was a man of of holiness. This was a man of righteousness. We see this man. He is the most unlikely candidate you would think that hard times would come to. He was a man who lived his life in the fear of the Lord. He, he was a man against whom no one could make an accusation that would stick. Uh, we would say it like this. He lived above reproach. His character speaks or spoke of itself. His, his character was such that he followed God in all that he did. He lived above reproach. He didn't give people to, something to talk about. I was talking to a young man a few weeks ago. I said I used to, to kind of have the approach when I was younger. I would say things like, let's give them something to talk about. I don't say that anymore. How many knows what I'm talking about? When you get older, you want the drama to settle down. You don't want issues in your life. This man was sold out to God. And so this was a man that lived far above reproach. And his character spoke for itself. So we see that about his character. Then we see Job's commodities. You see that in verses 2 through 4. We see the fact that he had wealth. He had lots of wealth. He was a very blessed man. The Lord honored Job by giving him great riches and a large family. How many of those riches is not sinful? It's what you do with those riches. It's how those riches control you. And 
and Job lived in a place of great character. He had all these commodities that the Lord had given unto him. So the blessings of God were clearly apparent in his life. But here's the thing. The enemy tried to use this against Job. But what he didn't understand was this, that the blessings of God, hear me, the blessings of God in his life were a byproduct, not the prime product. The blessings were the fact that he served God. The blessings were the fact that he sold out to God. These, these things did not control him. The blessings didn't control. They were a byproduct of serving the Lord. So then we see Job's commitment. So we see his character. We see his commodities. And we see his commitment. We see how Job was committed before the Lord. Job served as his family priest. He loved his children and he prayed for them. He offered sacrifices, as the Bible stated, to temporarily atone for their sins. Job was a man that was committed to the Lord. He was also a man that was committed to his family. And this is, listen, this is why it's important. Hear me, young people. This is why it's important to marry the right person. I said it's married to, rare, to it's it's important to marry the right person because when life gets tough you need someone to fight with you not against you. You need somebody running this race with you. You need somebody pulling with you. You need somebody pushing this thing along with you. Listen, commitment does not mean a life without conflict. Commitment just simply means you are doing this thing till death do us part. Come hell or high water, we're going to stay in this thing together. We're going to move this thing together. We're going to move the family together. We're going to move forward with him. And, and we see this in Job's character that he had this great commitment in his life. He was committed to the things of God. Then we see his consistency. And oftentimes these things run together. They parallel one another. Consistency runs with com commitment. So we see his consistency. Job wasn't a part-time believer. He just didn't believe part of the time. He just, didn't, he just didn't give part of his heart to the Lord. He didn't just give part of his uh, assets to the Lord. He didn't give part of his flocks and his livestock to the Lord. He didn't just give part of his family to He gave in totality, wholeness. We talked about a few weeks ago. He gave wholly unto the Lord, and in return, God made him a holy man in the earth. So it was about consistency. He wasn't a part-time believer. He was sold out to God. Every day was spent in holy living. Every day was about avoiding sin. Every day was in seeking God for others and living for their, their relationship with their king, with their Lord. So we see Job's consistency. Look at your neighbor and say consistency. You've got to have consistency. Consistency. Anybody have a New Year's resolution this year? Anybody uh, said, I'm going to do something or I'm going to restart something, reignite something again. Consistency. It could be all sorts of things. I decided this year that I'm going to start working out. I was on this weight loss for about a year and a half or two years, and I started to see my muscle mass really drift out and decline and fall away, and that was very depressing. And I thought, man, I got to get back to some kind of a, I don't want to be overly big, but at the same time, I don't want to be a weakling. How many knows what I'm talking about? So I decided this past year that I was going to get back into working out. And I do this three times a week. I work out three times, nothing extensive. It's about a 20 minute workout. It's not Richard Simmons or nothing like that, but it's just a workout that works for me, works for my time schedule. And it's about consistency. I found it to work for me. Three days a week, I'll do it. 
Regardless of what's happening, I make sure that I do that. How many knows in our life, we got to have some things that are consistent. We got to be consistent in our walk with God. See, we can't be haphazard in our faith. We can't just think one day I'm going to serve God, the next day I'm not. And the, one day I'm going to push in and, and press in and be and read my devotional, and the next day I'll just kind of, you know, if I get to it, I can't. No, we need to be consistent in this final hour. And you see this in Job's character, that he's a consistent individual. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. God can use consistent people. He uses them throughout the scriptures consistently in what, Pastor? Consistently in following him. So we see here that he was consistent in avoiding sin. He was consistent in a place of holy living. He was consistent in his walk with God. And what happens, listen, what happens when you do everything right, but you are the recipient of everything wrong? Here are three words that you have to stand by because nobody's going to have all the answers. We don't have time to exegesis the text. We don't have the time to talk about his friends who came against him and said, you had to have done something wrong. We don't have time to even talk about his wife this morning that said, you need to curse God and die. We don't have time to go into that. But all we have to know is these three words, you trust God. Through whatever comes your way in this life, you must learn to trust God. So even though you're on the recipient of something that seems bad, we know according to Romans 8.28, for we know that God causes all things to work together for good for them that love Him and are called according to His purpose. We realize that is our plight. You have to trust God. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to trust God. you got to trust God. you got to trust God. All these things, listen, make Job an unlikely candidate for trouble and suffering. Most people have the idea that, that we only suffer for wrongdoing. You know, like God's standing up in heaven just waiting for you to, uh, you know, step on the crack. And, and all of a sudden he's going to he's going to bring out his holy paddle and puts put you uh, to the. T he's, no, no, that's not the way it's going to work. Oftentimes we deal with some really tough stuff as believers. We go through some trials sometimes and and and. That is what Job's friends thought. That is what Job's wife, surely God wouldn't treat his own like this. How many knows God uh, that the Lord, whom the Lord loves, the Bible said he chases and scourges every son that is his. We have to stay on track. And there were times as I reflect upon my earthly father that would have to bring correction to me and would oftentimes say things and stuff that was not always that pleasing. And I realized as I've gotten older, what he did in those times helped me to be the person I am today. The trials that I have gone through have made and molded my character and who I am today. And oftentimes when you've gone through something really egregious in your life, really it becomes very evident very quickly what the purpose was. Because God will start sending people your way going through those same sort of things. Whether it's a, a hurting parent that's struggling along and you're there to assist them, you'll find that there's people in your life that God will send your way, that you're able to minister to them. And how did you get through that? And you're able to spell it out for them. And you just simply have to say, I had to trust God. I trusted the Lord through my circumstances. And though people around me kept saying, you had to have done something. I mean, those that was uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, in the old church, they would say, you know, if something bad happened, you know, you had to have done something in your walk. God would never do this. Well, listen, when you read the book of Job, 
you you realize something that is nothing more than a myth because everybody, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's something that we will deal with. But in the process, it's about your character and it's about you trusting the Lord along the way. So the fact is, we do suffer because of our sins and and we suffer because of our foolish decisions at times. Amen. Sometimes we suffer because of other sins and we make foolish decisions and we get caught up in in, in other people's uh, mishaps. Sometimes God will send suffering to test and to grow our faith. He sends it to grow our faith. Sometimes he allows it to come to sanctify our lives. Sanctification means set aside for the purpose of God. Not just set aside in a sense by yourself as an island, but set aside for his purposes to be worked in the earth. So sanctification is one of the reasons why suffering comes in our life. The greatest reason we suffer is for the glory of God. John chapter number 9 verses 1 through 3 says this. You remember Jesus, he would go about preaching miracles. He would, you would see miracles, you would see signs and wonders as he would travel around with the with the disciples. And the Bible says in John chapter number 9, verses 1 through 3, it says, As they went along, he saw a man from birth that was blind. And the disciples asked him, they said, Rabbi, Rabboni, Jesus, they were talking to, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus just piped up and he says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. That the work of God. Listen, I got a question for you today. Can God be on display in your life? Can you go through something really trialsome so others will see eventually that God is on display in your life? When God showed up, this man ultimately that was blind, once he was blind, but now he begins to see it was on he was on display for people to see the goodness of God happen in his life. I don't know about you, it's not always comforting, but I want to be on display for God. I want to be a good representation of him in the earth. I want to be a person that stands out in the crowd. I want to be a person that can go through affliction. I want to be a person that can go through. I don't embrace these things, but they're things that I have to go through in my life because I want to be on display for him. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying today? Do you want to be on display? Can God put you on display for him? So this this just reminds us that no one is immune to suffering. No one is immune to suffering. No one is in, in this world is above the hurts and the problems to come our way. And one truth we should take away from the book of Job, of Job is that the tree that stands the tallest is the tree that most likely will most likely get struck by the lightning. When you are dedicated to the Lord, to his will and to his work, You are a candidate for pain and for suffering. You are more likely to be attacked when you live closer to the Lord than you are when you live uh, close to the enemy or close to the patterns of this world. Contrary to popular belief, we have to understand that affliction will come our way. Persecution will come our way. 2 Corinthians 4 and 17 says this, "For For our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It's working in us something great. 
It's working in us an exceeding weight of glory, not for us, but for him on the other side. Because you realize that the enemy came to Jesus, came to God at this time and was saying, men will not serve you unless you continue to bless. And there's still this thought in today's society that people will not serve God in midst of affliction. Can I tell you, that doesn't line up with what goes on overseas. There's a gospel that might be preached in America that's a little bit different, but people overseas understand something about affliction. They understand something about persecution. They understand something about knowing, not knowing what's going to happen with their next meal, what's going to happen with their family, what's going to happen with their faith. There's people that struggle knowing what's going to happen next, but in the midst of it, they realize something that in light of eternity, this is but, as Paul stated to the Corinthian church, this is but a light affliction. This is small in comparison to eternity. So we got to keep things in perspective. Number two, we see this unseen conflict that's taking place. This unseen conflict. While Job is living his life out on the earth, events are taking place in the heavenlies. Events are taking place. Events that Job cannot see and he did not, listen, he did not have a say-so in. It wasn't like Job had this sit-down conversation with God and, and God was asking Job a series of questions like, Job, do you think you could make it through? What if I applied this amount of pressure, pressure upon your life, Job? Do you think will you continue serving me? No, these were never questions that were brought to the table with Job. How many knows if you knew the storm was coming, if you knew trials were coming, you would not want to embrace that thing if you had a means by a way out of that issue. You would want to get out of that thing. And that's where Job was at. So there was this unseen conflict and Job was not invited to the say so. He didn't get he didn't get invited to the meeting. He didn't get a voice and vote for the situation. Right. And that same conflict goes on with us today. But then we see this heavenly assembly. We see the angelic host uh, uh, being uh, make an appearance before God's throne. We see this in verse number six. And apparently they are there to give an account of their service to him. And we certainly don't understand all that's taking place at this point. But we are we are mystified. Listen, by the appearance of Satan himself. We see Satan show up to this same heavenly assembly. Satan, the being with him whom sin originated, you understand, appears before the Lord. Satan, the most ungodly being in the universe, stands before God himself. And this is an incredible statement. After all, God is so holy that he cannot even look upon sin. Yet he stands there before God in the midst bringing accusation. Satan. The being within whom sin originated appears before the Lord. Okay? And I want you to think about who we are dealing with here. He is called by many names in the Bible. We know that Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. He's called the adversary. Amen? He's called the angel of the bottomless pit. He's called the angel of light. He's the antichrist. He's Beelzebub. He's Biel. He's the devil. He's the dragon. He's the enemy. He's the evil spirit. He's the father of lies. He's the God of this world. He's the great red dragon. He's Lucifer. He's the murderer. He's the old serpent. 
He's the power of darkness, the power of death, the prince of this world, the prince and the power of the air. He's a roaring lion. He's the ruler of darkness. He's the tempter, the thief. He's the wicked one. His names alone declare his character. Declares who this, this being is. Yet there, he stands in the midst, in the presence of the Lord in heaven. But there will come a point in Revelation chapter number 12 where he is cast out of the presence of God. He is cast out of it. He will no longer be an accuser of the brethren. He will be in the bottomless pits. He will be in the lake of fire. Uh, he, will, he, will, he will be in a place where he, he deserves what his reward is. So we see in the midst of, of what uh, Job is going through, we see this heavenly assembly that is taking place. But then we see this heavenly acknowledgement. Not only does Satan appear in heaven, but his presence there is acknowledged by God. God calls him to account for his activities. And I don't want to get bogged down on this thought, but keep in mind that the devil is a created being. He held a high-ranking angelic position. We know him as the star of the morning. He was beautiful. He was magnificent. He was majestic. He, yet he was full of pride. He was beautiful to look upon. He was this great orator, this great singer, but yet he was full of pride. He was full of sin. And I want to say this, you can be in a perfect environment and you can have a perfect leader. And see, that's why I, I struggle sometimes, and I'll get to my thought here in just a moment. I struggle sometimes with saying, uh, hearing people say things like this. Well, if you're not receiving something from that church, you need to go to another church. Because here shows a man, here shows a being, being Satan, that stood in a perfect environment, yet he didn't get it. He was preached. He was ministered to. They were worshiping around the same issue as we talked about a few weeks ago with Judas, who had one of the greatest preachers, the greatest pastor of all time, but yet he fell away from God. See, it's not about God. It's about us. It's about how we intake what God is trying to pour out upon our life. It's not about God giving. It's about what we are receiving. And we have to learn in this hour to receive from him. So he had this great environment. He had a perfect environment. He had a perfect leader, but he still fell away. And here's the thing. I want you to understand. You can be in a perfect environment amongst people that are maybe not perfect, serving a perfect God, but still fall away from him. It's up to us to move forward with God. His authority and his power are limited by the sovereign authority of Almighty God. Satan can only go so far. He's only going to go so far in your life. And you will notice who speaks first in Job chapter number 1, verse number 7. God spoke first. And you will also notice who spoke last. We see this in Job chapter number 1, verse number 12. God spoke first and God spoke last. And you will notice who leaves heaven when the conversation has ended. You see this in Job chapter number 1, verse number 12. It's Satan who has to leave. So God had the first word and God had the last word and Satan had to flee in the midst of those words going forward. How many knows, how many need the Satan to flee out of some situations in your life? How many knows God's got the first word and he's got the last word in your life? And Satan can only go so far with God's people. 
Satan can only do so much. He always, God always has the last word. I, I, I want you to understand that I, I that 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 he's uh, he's the devil. But here's the thing: he's God's devil, and I don't have time to really go into that. He's God's devil. What are you saying, Pastor? He's on a leash. He's not on the loose. He can only go so far in your life. And we've got to stop thinking he's just going to run over me and he's going to kill me and he's going to take over my children. He's going to take over my life and I'm never going to be able to recover. And maybe you have been through some really tough times in your life. But as the Bible said, a just man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. And we've got to have a spirit of tenacity in this hour that says, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. Though he takes everything away from me, I'm still going to trust him. And then we see here this heavenly accusation. When Satan asks about Job, Satan reveals his true identity. He lives up to his name because the word Satan means the word adversary. He's an adversary, the one who stands in opposition to another, who is opposing you. You Feel that resistance in your life when you're trying to push through and do something with God. That's a resistance from Satan. That's a resistance of hell in opposition of what you're trying to do moving forward. So they sense this, this heavenly ac accusation. Satan tells the Lord that the only reason Job serves him is because God has paid him off, if you, if you will. He has put a hedge around him. He has, he has given him blessings upon blessings, bountiful blessings. And it's quite an accusation from quite an accuser, you understand. Did you know that Satan is still standing against the people of God today? Did you know that he still uh, accuses you and accuses me before the throne of God? And one man said that Satan was like a grave digger. Uh-huh. Because he is always trying to dig up the dirt on the saints of God. He's always trying to dig up your dirt. My, my dad used to always have a saying, and he had a really rough past. He had a really trialsome past. He, he dealt with alcoholism and things like that. And when people would start talking about his youthful years, his younger years, all he could remember is those years of alcoholism. And he would say, stop digging in my backyard. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Have you ever been around people that all they can remember is your past mistakes, your past trouble, your past issues? Things, they just keep digging in your backyard. They're the best grave diggers in life. And this is who Satan is. He will continue to try to dig up dirt on the saints of God. He's always trying to dig up your past. The Bible says in, Re in Revelation chapter number 12, verse number 10, that he is again, he is the accuser of the brethren. But even in the face of accusations, the saints of God have an advocate, and his name is Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. We have an advocate with the Father. Listen, what am I saying? We have a person that has God's ear. We have an advocate in His name as Jesus Christ. You know what? Sometimes in life, it's not how smart you are. It's not what you are doing. It's not how gifted you are. It's who you are associated with. Sometimes you get the job not because you're the most qualified, but because you know somebody. Sometimes in life, you move forward, not because that you're just so great in everything that you do, but God is looking down from the heavens. God is looking down saying, listen, I've got my hand of blessing upon him because I know him. I know her life. I know what she does. I know that. And I'm going to continue to pour out my blessings upon it. Listen, I'm not good because I'm good. I'm good because God's good. 
And so we see the accuser of the brethren. And so number three, I want us to see an unbelievable crisis. Unbelievable stuff. Listen, I'm going to tell you, Stephen King couldn't even touch this mess in the book of Job. This is a story of a man of great resilience. I want us to understand something because I believe as we're moving closer and closer toward the end of time, the enemy is trying to get us in a place where every little trial we make a big deal about. Every little situation we make a big, everything is a crisis in our life. We got a headache. We got a crisis. You know, we need that. We got a crisis. This has happened in our life. Listen, I'm telling you, we've got to get to a place where we just simply trust God in everything that we're dealing with. We've got to be able, in the midst of an unbelievable crisis, we have a believable God that's going to show up in our midst. So Satan unleashes hell in Job's life. It's one incredible, it's one heartbreaking situation, one unbelievable day that we see Job saw nearly everything he loved and lived for taken away at a moment's notice. We've all experienced some kind of, we've experienced death, we've experienced things taken away from us, whether that be material things, whether that be people. We've all experienced these types of things, but how about losing everything in one day? Doesn't that help us put our life in perspective? Doesn't that help us to, when, when we're going through something trialsome, to, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and continue to move on because we could say that there was a man in the Bible named Job and I, and I don't understand all that. And I know he had to have gone through all sorts of mental torment and struggles of the enemy, but in the midst of it, he stayed true to his God, even in the midst of the most heartbreaking situations. So we see this crisis that he takes place. So we see the scope of the crisis. You read about it in verses 14 through 17. And as this crisis in Job's life unfolds, Job is ripped from this pinnacle of success. This great success. And he finds himself broken and battered with nothing left of his former glory. He's looking around and everything is gone. You remember looking at the, the, the tornadoes that happened in Joplin some number of years ago where when those tornadoes went through the town, it literally, literally ravaged the entire city. Everything was gone. People's lives had been lost. People's homes and their whole livelihood was gone. This is where Job found himself in a place of nothingness. So then we see the sorrow of this crisis. When Job thought things could not get any worse, the most devastating news of all reached his ears and ripped his heart out of his chest. We you know, he was told that all ten of his children were dead. Can you imagine? Having been killed at one time in a house that collapsed upon them. And then we see the source of this crisis. And, and do you think it was a mere coincidence that in each of these cases, one person was left to bring back the bad news to Job? You remember the story? As each thing would happen, as each trial would happen, as each crisis would happen, one person would be released. It's as if Satan was speaking in their ear and saying, go back and tell Job what he just lost now. And it was as if people were lined up for a mile to give this man bad news. Can I tell you, the enemy is the bearer of bad news. He will speak things in your life. He will bring people your way. And this was no coincidence because Satan spared those people so that they would go and they would, they would, they would 
begin to talk in Job's ear and they would drive deeper a dagger of despair and grief upon this man. Each time a messenger would come to Job, Satan just knew that this would be the breaking point. See, Satan has come for your breaking point. What will be the thing to cause you to shimmy up the white flag and throw in the towel? What will be the thing to cause you to give up on your God? Is it one more thing? Have you ever just said that in your life? If one more issue comes, if I got to deal with one more thing, one more phone call, one more trial, one more email, one more text message, one more bill in the mail, one more thing. Has anybody ever been there? Just one more? You thought one more thing could be the thing that caused you to lose it? <laughs> I mean, knows what I'm talking. Uh, the one more, and Satan believes at some point the one more can be the one. So they were ripped out of his life, and they, they, the, the one individual went back and told this grieving father, "Oh, you've lost all your children." Now Satan knew that this would surely be the thing that caused Job to quit, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't. The, it was not the thing that caused him to quit. And can I tell you, that's the entire purpose of the enemy. He wanted to get Job to curse the Lord so he could steal God's glory. So he could ultimately say, God, I won. You didn't. He had a breaking point. So the whole episode had nothing to do with Job's wealth or Job's children. The whole episode centered on Satan's desire to rob God of his glory was trying to strip God of his glory, saying, you know what? He will eventually turn his back on you. Can I tell you that that is something that people will try to get us to do in life too, right? To get you to turn your back on somebody. Do you know what they did? You know the type of people I'm talking about, right? You know what they said? And they tried to alter your thinking about the person they're trying to snipe out. They're trying to cause you to think something differently. And listen, that's why I've always, people come to me all the time and say, oh, Tim, did you know this? And if I'm in the workplace or pastor, I, I, I'm, I'm like, listen, that's not the character of that person. That's not what I know about them. So if you are quick to hear what people say about others, you've got to, listen, you've got to run that through a formula, and that being God's formula, and understand oftentimes Satan is at work trying to speak in your ear to get you to think a certain thing about something. I met somebody, I was talking to somebody a few months ago on the phone, and we hadn't talked for several months, and, and, and we haven't always been the greatest of friends, but we've never been enemies. And he just simply told me something. He said, you know what? I didn't really think you were the way you are. I never really have known you in fullness, but after this conversation, I, and, and he gave me the impression that he was listening to what other people had said about me. Whatever that thing was, how many knows we all got those people, right? Some of us might have the same people. I don't know. But we all know who the author of that thing is. We all know that there's an enemy, that there's an adversary, and his name is Satan, and he's a thief that cometh yet but to steal, kill, and destroy. It's important that we know who our God is. Number four, we see this unrelinquished control. Job is on the earth totally oblivious to the events that's taking place in heaven. Job is just living his everyday life not knowing what is happening before the throne of God. Can I tell you there's things that are happening all around us in the spirit realm that we don't understand? Again, this whole Christian life, this whole walk that we have has to be based upon trust. Trusting God. 
He promises not to put any more on us than we can bear. I know something in life, and I, I know you realize this in, with your children. Sometimes you will push your children to a brink. You will push them along. I need you to do this. I need you to take care of that. I can't take care. I don't know how to do this. We push them. We nudge them. With grace, we walk with them. We try to get them to move out of their comfort zone a little bit. And this is where Job was. And he found himself on the receiving end of this attack of Satan. And Satan appears to be holding all the cards in his hand. And in fact, after this little dialogue is over, Satan will unleash the fury of hell upon Job's life. And I want you to know that through every part of, of this, God exercised his sovereign control over every portion of this event. God even took credit for everything the devil did. You can read about it in Job chapter number two, verse number three. And I know some people have a problem with the sovereignty of God. But, but, but I would have a problem. Here's the thing. I would have a problem if, I, if God wasn't in control of it all. How many knows what I'm talking about? I would have an issue. I would be worried sitting up late at night wondering if God wasn't truly in control. I'm wondering, well, who is in control? So I'm thankful today for the sovereignty of God. I'm thankful today that he's in control of all things. And one of the most terrifying thoughts of all is that something might happen in your life or mine that God did not allow or he did not know about somehow. It's a terrifying thought. But notice how he controlled this situation. I want you to see here in verse number seven that God was the initiator. We don't like that. Satan did not speak until he was first spoken to. God is the one who opened up this dialogue with the devil. God is the one who initiated this entire episode. God was the initiator, and we also see here that God was the instigator. God's the one who brought Job into the conversation. It would seem from the conversation that Job knew, that, that Satan knew about Job, but it is God who introduces Job and his life in this instance to Satan. Have you tried my servant Job? He was the instigator. And then we see that God was the inhibitor. After Satan you know, insinuates that Job will turn on God if his prosperity is threatened, God gives Satan permission to attack Job. Then he sets limits on how far the devil can go. Can I tell you, God always sets the rules. God sets the rules. So what I want you to get from this is the truth that God is in control of the entire situation. God started the dialogue with Satan. God brought Job's name up in the conversation and pointed out how spiritual and how special Job was. He was an upright man. He was blessed of God. And God then established all the ground rules in the situation. From beginning to end, this entire affair was under the control of Almighty God. We see that. And this ought to bring comfort to our hearts. As I said before, that nothing happens in our life unless it first comes across God's desk. God has to allow these. He controls the timing of our disruptions. The timing. Look at your neighbor and say the timing. 
He controls the timing of our disruption. He, here's the other thing. He controls the duration of our disruptions. How long it's going to be. He controls that. He controls the extent of our disruptions. How much am I going to have to deal with? How much am I going to have? Everything he allows into our lives is for our good and for his glory. That's what it's for. That's why it's there. And I know some people have trouble believing that. But the fact, nevertheless, is I find great peace in the knowledge that everything that comes in my life is a part of his plan for me. It's a part of his plan for my life. And and listen, I, I don't believe in accidents. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in good luck or, or bad luck even. I don't believe in, listen, I don't believe in, you know, just simply it's my mistakes or, or happenstance or whatever. I rest in the arms of the Almighty God. I rest in His plan. I rest in His purposes. I rest in what He's doing. And I trust what He's doing in my life. I don't know about you, but I trust Him. Do you trust Him today? And number five, I want to just leave us with this. I want to see an unfazed commitment. Unfaced. Unfaced. You know, you can be shaken, but unfaced. You can really go through something trialsome in your life, but you walk away unfaced. You don't talk about all the bad. See, we have to be careful because the Bible says death and life is in the power of the tongue. Sometimes we say too much. We're going through situations and we want to tell everybody all about it. We want everyone to know how hurt we are, how much struggle we are. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. He came away and Job came away with this unfazed commitment toward God. Unfazed. He didn't give people a, 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 a place to, to bring reproach against the name of the Lord. He just didn't do that. He didn't talk bad about God. He didn't say how he was just simply, you know, he, he was almost like, you know, sometimes you feel like as a child, you feel like maybe you're not, you can't measure up to the other siblings in your house. Have you ever felt like you're not the favorite? Have you ever felt like maybe you're like the two left shoes sitting over here? Have you ever just felt like that you were not the one, that everybody else seemed to get the blessing, but it always seemed like you had something lesser coming toward you? Sometimes this can happen in our life, but it's all about how we deal with that, how we go with that, through that, how we, what our mindset is as we move forward. Are we going to remain committed in the relationship? And he was unfazed in his commitment. I want you to see that in the aftermath of devastation and destruction and death that took place in Job's life, he still had a testimony for the Lord. That testimony served to the glory of God. And, and, and it was it was listen, it was more about what God was doing than what about Job was doing. And the few moments of Job's life that are captured in these in these verses did more to glorify the Lord than every sacrifice that Job ever offered for his children. He would take his livestock, the best of his livestock, you understand. That's what a sacrifice was all about. Giving God the best. See, we could all give God the thing that we don't want. We could all go out to the garage and find something that had five years worth of dust on it and say, God, I'm going to give you this. But it's about giving God our best. He did that on a day-to-day -day basis, but still dealt with traumatic things, something very, I don't know that any of us 
God could walk with us through grace and mercy. I pray that none of us have to deal with this type of thing. But listen, Job gives us a perspective that though he slays me, I'll trust him. So we see Job's reaction. What was Job's reaction? What did he do? He went out and he, he shaved his head. He tore his clothes. He rid himself of his garments. And both of these actions are a sign of, of intense mourning. He was struggling with this. God, how, how have you ever just been in deep sorrow? This is his way of dealing with it and going through it and handling it. And surely his heart, we know, is broken. And it's understandable that he, he would see all this grief that would come in his pain the expression would be shown forth through his clothing, through his shaving his head. And these things did Job. He, he was trying to make sense of it. But the next thing Job did is, is what takes, takes us by, by surprise. We're not surprised that Job grieved because all of us would grieve. That he shaved his head or tore his clothes or that he fell down on the ground, but... We, we, we can be surprised that Job did this. When he fell down, he worshipped. See, one thing we got to realize, we cannot let the enemy steal our worship. We cannot let the enemy steal our song. We cannot let the enemy steal our joy and our peace. We've got to keep singing for the Lord. We've got to keep worshiping toward the Lord. We never want to get into a place where we say, God, I'll just, you know what, I, just, I can't do anything right now. Silence is gold. Not in the kingdom, silence is not golden. We've got to pour out a praise upon Jesus. And he bowed his head and he got on his hands and knees. And the Bible said Job worshipped. And in that moment when his world had crumbled all around him and, and the ground around his feet, Job turned away from his problems. He turned away from his pain. And he turned away from his dead children to look into the face of God who he loved more than life itself. He loved God. He loved everything about him. He loved the Lord more than his family. He loved the Lord more than his wealth. He loved the Lord more than all of his possessions. And what Job did, the, the grace of God can, listen, can enable each of us to do also. He can bring us through some of the most trying times of our life. Then we see Job's response. When Job does speak, he, he does not attack the Lord. When Job does speak, he offers praise to the Lord for the blessings that he has enjoyed. Job has not words of condemnation, only words, listen, only words of exaltation. He was exalting the Lord. Wow. I thought about this all week of the intimacy of this relationship between him and his God. I've thought about this, and, and, and here's I want to close with this. I've got several more things I could say, but I just feel like I need to close here. I thought about this, about how nothing came between Job and his God. Simple thought. But we overlook it sometimes. Nothing, or you could say it like this, no thing. No, no fear, no trial, no, no unbelief. Not his friends, not his family, 
nor otherwise. Nothing came between him and his God. No thing came between him. And I want to challenge us today as we stand to our feet. Sister Delaney, would you come? Would you mind coming? I want to challenge us today to not let anything come between our relationship with God. This word is for somebody in this place today. Matter of fact, this word is for at least two or three of you today. You need to not let anything come between you and God. Because the devil right now is up at the throne of grace right now, petitioning God, saying, just one more thing can I put on their plate? Just one more thing can I add to their agenda? One more thing can I add to them? One more thing that they're going to have to add to the prayer list at church? You hear what I'm saying? One more struggle, one more trial, and who is that person I'm talking to today? Come down here. We want to pray for you. I've seen those hands. Come on up for it. Come on down. One more struggle. One more issue. One more bad report. You've got to have a realization that nothing can come between you and your God. You know, as a young person, I used to struggle with how people dealt with grief. I remember looking as a young person, as, as a child, and I would, I would often wonder when somebody lost their parents, how in the world could you live without your mother? How in the world could you live without your father? Well, I'm standing in that position today. I'm living without both of them, but I'm going on because why? Because God has been merciful and I've understood something. I could not allow anything to come between me and my God. I couldn't allow death. I couldn't allow trials. I couldn't allow situations or tribulations to take me out and snipe me out. Why? Because I understand that he walks with me. He's the one that's going to take me through the most trialsome situations. And I think to myself, and I used to think to myself, I can never go through that. Man, they're strong. I'm going to tell you today, some of you are dealing with some very grievous things. And God's saying he's not going to put any more on you than you can bear. But in this season, don't give up. Don't faint. Hallelujah. Can we have some of our ladies come forward? Sister Barbara, would you help me pray?